Welcome to the first edition of Mandalore Podcast Green Finance. Our goal is to increase awareness around green finance, and this podcast is brought by you by Mandalore Partners. So our first guest is Nicole Anderson, founder and CEO of Red Sand Ventures. She also chairs the MIRIS Board of Directors, and she's the one of the uh, leader in influence and green finance in our list. Welcome, Nicole. Great to have you here. Thank you so much. Great to be here. I mean, thank you. I would like to introduce uh, and structure this interview in three parts, you know, uh, why, how, and what. So first, understand why finance is important to you. Then second, explain how you tackle this cause. And third, finish with lesson learned. Um, and then we can finish with a quick uh, portrait chinois, so a quick fire chat with mm-hmm. short question and answer if you, if you like. How does that sound? Sounds great. Yeah, let's get stuck in. So can you tell us more about yourself and how you end up in green finance? Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, I, um, like yourself, have obviously been, um, you know, a fintech enthusiast for now close to a decade. Uh, I have always been involved in innovation projects that had had a very strong financial inclusion theme. My business, Red Sand Ventures, began its um, its early format uh, was a pure advisory. Um, and then for about the last five years, I've been focused on predominantly um, manufacturing ideas through to um, concept um, launchable ventures for institutions and and corporate clients. So we typically call that the venture studio model or venture building model, Um, which, you know, as an aside, has been an um, an interesting vehicle for me to learn about financial services across almost every aspect. But um, in 2008, I got quite heavily involved um, in um, uh, areas outside of financial services, predominantly construction and real estate and project financing. And I was called into action to look at how technology business models could aid the, the frustration um, and the unlocking of capital challenge that specifically sustainable green finance projects faced um, and there are many, right? Um, so I, I basically got a really deep understanding of project finance, so from the asset issuer side, um, and um, I was hooked. You know, I, I, I blended my knowledge um, and experience of building ventures to aid financial inclusion with this real, real ongoing challenge of project finance in, in the green space. Um, and I thought to myself, it, it was incredibly obvious to me how with an innovation mindset, you could see how this world could be solved by business models. You and I spend a lot of time iterating on and thinking about investability for. So um, green finance is the perfect storm. It brings together so much of what is absolutely crucial in how we transition to a zero carbon world um, with a new new world for finance. And you cannot do that without innovation right front and centre. Mm, thank you. Thank you. So first part, I mean, why? Um, why do you think green finance is important nowadays? Well, I mean, the threat of planetary distress is, is everywhere. I mean, aren't we living in the most unbelievable times, unprecedented? Um, and, you know, we, I think we... I think that even that conversation is wearing thin. So we we know that everything has changed and everything has changed fundamentally. Uh, and getting used to that um, is going to be the challenge, not the fact that it has changed, but getting used to how the world will evolve um, and in a very different way. Now, we are facing 
climatic challenges, and we're facing that pre-pandemic, you know, rising temperatures, affecting our, our biodiversity, putting strain on our food supply, increasing disease, and causing untold human suffering on the, is on the up. Um, and this pandemic, of course, has just taken that to a completely different level. Um, so green finance is all about addressing what is absolutely crucial to sustain life as, you know, in, in, in a format that is tenable and um, acceptable at a baseline. Um, finance fuels everything. And, you know, we know that the, the numbers vary, but the continuum of between 60 to $90 trillion has to be spent um, in the next 10 years in order to address um, the, the goal of the Paris Agreement, which is obviously maintaining a rise in temperature below two degrees. We're not doing too well on that score. Um, and predominantly, this is because industries cannot evolve fast enough. Um, they need technology. They need new operating models. They need new skills. They need new talent. And they need partners in uh, finance to help them unlock what they need to transform. And so for me, this is, a, is not only a deep passion, but it's such an obvious, critical thing to resolve and resolve it at pace. Thank you. Thank you. And why do you think there are still key challenges for green finance? Yeah, I mean, there, there are many. Um, I think the, um, the, you know, everywhere you, you, you look within green finance, there's, there, are, there are challenges. But I, you know, I put it down to, um, first of all, finance is innately um, a rule-based system. <laughs> Uh, finance needs rules. Um, regulation is key. And as we probably you know, know, many listeners will know that regulation is still, for the best part, absent um, because regulation generally follows um, activity on the ground, um, operational activity. And, and what we're looking at is we're looking at a forward-looking world. So regulation is definitely having to catch up. Obviously, the EU is leading the way globally in terms of the um, sustainable finance taxonomy, which was released a few, uh, a few months ago, a couple of months ago. But you know, the world is still catching up. So that's one thing. And um, the other thing is, um, is liquidity. This is a massive challenge. Um, in order to release liquidity into, into the system, whether it be public or private markets, you really have to understand uh, the nature of risk. Um, and much of project, the new project financing requirements and um, the new world order requires a technical skill. And so finance is now being called upon to actually get ahead of themselves and really understand businesses um, and industries in a way they've never had to looking at these businesses and operations from just from a, a pure historic financial return perspective is not good enough. They have to understand pure impact. Um, pure impact, I say, is that's, that is not uh, a, a good way of defining it. You know, the spectrum of impact. Um, and then there's underwriting risk, you know, is being challenged um, at, at every level. There is no precedent for what we're going through. Um, so I, I think the whole risk modeling challenge um, is a big thing. And what this all points down to is is data. Um, so you know what better tangent you know for 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 technology and, and innovation because um, innovation is a, a perfect complement, a perfect partner to absorbing and deploying data. Hmm. Thank you. Very insightful. Let's talk about gaps. Why do you think there are still gaps today? Well, 
I mean, again, I mean, the challenges and the gaps are quite similar. Um, but if we look at some of the, the kind of major gaps, um, systemic sustainability risks arising from climate change and ecosystem degradation, changing social expectations are still fundamental threats to the financial sector. Um, I mentioned data before, um, and understanding this risk is, is still very patchy, right? So that's a huge gap, access to data that um, previously perhaps has not been appreciated or considered. Um, and this is generally in a, in a category we call real-world data. <laughs> um, so it's a really understanding what is happening on the ground. Um, it's not a theoretical exercise. So that's the real challenge with ESG today. It, it is predominant for the most part, um, a scoring a mechanism based on a theoretical a self-reporting um, activity, and, and that is really very often very different from what's truly happening on, on the ground within the operations of, of a business or a market. Um, the financial sector still lacks the analytical tools. I mentioned uh, regulation, but even standards, right? Um, so policy, the policy environment is evolving um, and, and therefore catching up. So that's a huge gap. Um, and often many players won't act until they have the confidence um, or um, I guess the clarity in terms of policy and frameworks. Um, and then not all market participants are cognizant of timescales um, on which ESG risks are material. So there's a mis mismatch between time horizons of um, a financial firm's risk models um, under certain regimes, such as prudential regime, regimes, and, and the long-term perspective that sustainability risk demands. So what's happening in the real world um, and what's happening in, in terms of within the closed circles of financial services, there is, there is this huge gap. And what I, I guess I'm trying to say is, is what sustainable green finance is calling for is a convergence, um, much more under greater understanding of, of how businesses operate, how markets operate. Um, really getting stuck in, in inverted commas, is what's called for to resolve these gaps. Mm, thank you. Let's move from the why to the how. You know, um, how do we close these gaps now? I mean, efficiently for five, uh, green finance. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, you could again go on. Um, I think I think there is a you know simplistic. I say simplistic. It is is quite complex in and of itself. But I would see two ways um, to to look at this. First of all. Um, the term ESG is, is a completely frustrating, but I guess necessary way to um, categorize some of the biggest um, ways in, in which people understand green finance. Um, but it is hugely um, it is hugely complex when you dive into what underpins ESG. Uh, first of all, it goes on and on and on. It's constantly evolving, you know, the mechanics or the um, variables or the inputs into the E or the S or the G. And it's also, it's being interpreted or adopted very, very differently. Um, so I think a good way to start would be harmonization. And I think here, the various, you know, data um, providers or um, data service providers in ESG space have a, a lot to be responsible for. So there should be harmonization there. 
Um, I think um, investors, you know, would therefore um, be far more confident in a kind of a single version of the truth um, in terms of what they could rely on. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure that that's probably Nirvana, but certainly a closer, closely aligned methodologies between the sources of the scores would be very helpful. And then the second thing I'd say is um, closing these gaps would be to um, look at innovation very, very seriously. And, and by this, I don't mean innovation in financial products, but I mean innovation, innovating around structures that will accelerate and scale funding. Um, so we have a major, major capital allocation challenge uh, globally. Um, we've always, you know, post-financial crisis, that was what we lived with for a a decade. And now we've overlaid this challenge of the pandemic and climate change on top of that. So the, the acute nature of, of capital allocation and release into the system is, is at its, you know, it's unprecedented. So ways in which we can actually look at um, more patient, long-term, gentle, if I can use it, ways of, of releasing capital. I think there's a lot that can be done in terms of investment products. Um, and certainly, you know, that spans both debt and, and equity. I think there's some exciting developments coming into the space. Um, and, you know, so so that is, I hope that continues. I mean, I think there is a, a big opportunity to create new financial instruments that feel different, go for a longer term, um, thrive off, you know, as much the impact metrics or return um, and um, transparency as they do in terms of financial return. Yeah, I hear you about impact scoring. Um, let's talk about companies. You know, how have companies implemented green finance so far? Um, look, I, you know, I, because of the world I'm in, I, I think one of the very uh, practical ways I'm seeing this happen happening, certainly at an institutional level in the investment management space. And, and, and one would argue, I think it's coming very soon, but wherever the kind of risk, you know, the concentration of risk modeling is taking place. So insurers and reinsurers is, is stress testing. Um, and most of the central banks actually are, are right. Many of them are, you know, have offer regulatory oversight in many countries. They are advocating stress testing um, for climate risk. So that's a good thing. Um, I think we are seeing um, uh, a lot of education um, evolving um, in terms of, well, obviously, all right, how do we absorb um, the ideas, the concepts, the new models, um, the talent required to address um, these financial, the financial, I guess, methodologies of the future, so associations, think tanks. So there's a lot of participation of, of, of institutions in a myriad. Um, of associations. Um, ESG products, um, tons, right? Um, mostly investment products and mostly in the listed space. Um, so, you know, fine, you, you, we could argue that's at least doing something, um, but I would also argue there's, there's probably um, all the reasons we've spoken about ESG, um, I guess, an opaque nature with that. So, um, so that's that. Then, you know, if we look at actual, you know, products and services, green banks, um, we have the likes of the Ecology Building Society, Triodas, um, the co-op um, co banks, certainly in the UK, and their digital outlet, Smile, they're all very, very focused on, you know, doing good for society, the social impact, but also looking at, you know, ways in which they can um, demonstrate part of their return goes to good projects. 
deployed um, into into environmental causes. Um, there is obviously a, a growing theme around green insurance, um, predominantly more in the consumer insurance space, so electric vehicles and incentivizing electric vehicle purchasing and operations um, such as TDI. Um, and then I, you know, we're starting to see green credit um, products um, come out for consumers. It, it's it's interesting to see that has taken a while. I'm quite excited to see how, you know, wholesale green debt can be, you know, fuel its way into, into consumer markets. Um, but I think that's coming. So those are some of the ways I'm, I'm seeing green finance um, being applied and executed on the ground. And that's mainly for banks and companies. I mean, let's talk about other stakeholders. You know, how can other stakeholders or key st other, uh, stakeholders conduct change in green finance? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, clearly, I think I've mentioned it before. I mean, there's, there are a number of pillars that will make green finance a reality at, at the pace it has to move. Um, so policy is one. So... Um, and policy and policymakers really never work very well unless they're embedded into essentially the private market activity. So, um, so that partnership of private, um, you know, private public partnerships aided by policy, uh, I think is one way. Um, then I think strategy and brand leadership. I mean, some some you know corners of of our world may poo-poo that. Um, but I think if you want to succeed, you have to be seen to be doing the right thing. And just being seen to do, be doing the right thing is not enough. I think being held accountable to your brand, if it represents sustainability or a sustainable product or service in finance, you will be accountable for that. So you better make sure you're able to um, prove that your activity is truly um, holds up to whatever brand proposition you take into market. Product innovation, I've mentioned that before. I mean, of course, I think there's huge opportunity now. I, certainly, I think the world of sustainable fintech is just beginning. What a huge opportunity that is to come in and, you know, new market players to demonstrate agility in addressing some of the biggest challenges around you know, the gaps I mentioned earlier, um, such as obviously liquidity and, and transparency. Um, Education, you know, I think we've got you know, an entire legacy to turn around very, very quickly in terms of talent and skills. So, I mean, I, for one, am a big proponent of, of you know, what is the future of bankers? Um, what, what is youth empowerment? What does that look like in terms of filtrating into, into traditional finance? What will traditional finance look like in the future? And then partnerships, you know, I, I would, I would, I would hazard a guess that, you know, the advent of the big tech players um, into traditional finance in the last 10 years is a very good example of how partnerships can be incredibly powerful. And I think, I think the finance community should take, a, a, you know, a lesson out of that book and, and become either aligned with progressive partners, whether that be, you know, technology partnerships um, or knowledge partnerships um, or uh, industry partnerships. But I think partnerships um, and public and private partnerships are a very strong um, theme for, for stakeholders uh, to consider. Yeah, let's talk about partnerships and more about Red Sense. I mean, what do you offer? I mean, uh, what is the scene according to you uh, in 2030, for example? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, so so obviously we we focus on sustainable finance as an innovation opportunity, um, and we do that in two ways. Uh, we help um, institutions essentially develop. Um, ideas, products, and ventures um, so that they can accelerate their position into market, um, really getting stuck into, into the opportunity, right? Um, because there is a huge financial opportunity. Um, this is not just about paying. This is a, a, a new market opportunity for financial services. And then the other thing is, you know, we um, are very keen in fostering innovation. So actually deploying capital, allocating capital to innovators, entrepreneurs. That's what we do. Um, it's one way of tackling and aiding the challenge. Um, what do I think um, the scene for green finance will be in 2030? Um, well, I'd like to see um, a new, complete new era of green bankers. I'd like to see climate finance as basically embedded throughout the value chain. I would like to see um, a real serious step change um, in financial inclusion um, and for that level of literacy and transparency to be as simple and understandable for anyone, anywhere, who's wanting, you know, to take up or use a financial product, I would definitely like to see a lot more access um, to patient capital and greater liquidity um, in the markets and transparency in private markets. I think that's a, a big friction point. Uh, and did I mention patient capital? I did. But that's, you know, for me, that would be a, a really good world to be in in 2030. You say a lot of things here. Let's let, let, let recap. I mean, what would be your key message for action to investors and policy decision makers? Right. So if you haven't noticed, the world is facing an unprecedented economic you know, situation and the uncertainty levels is something we have to get used to, right? They are not going away. Way, and this I, firm belief, you know, categorically that we, we cannot relive the past. It is, we are moving into a next phase, right? Even in humanity, you know, so without getting too profound, I think it's, we're very lucky to be going through this. I mean, what an amazing time. Um, so facing that, is the first thing is like, okay, learn to live with uncertainty. How do you learn to live with uncertainty? Well, you learn to get stuck in and, and basically testing yourself, be comfortable with risk. And become being comfortable with risk means you need to provide the environment where you can assess risk, you can scenario plan, you can stress test. Um, I also think um, pre-pandemic, the bias was very much focused on the E within ESG. But now I think the criticality of addressing the social aspects and the economic um, instability is going to be a huge burden. Um, and so I think, you know, that is certainly a key message that this is now clearly in the hands of both public and private collaborators. So we all have a responsibility to each other to get stuck in. And knowledge is everything. And knowledge comes in different directions and different flavors. So nothing should be excluded. Mm -hmm. And what else can we do? And what else can you do? Well, you know, I mean, obviously, I wouldn't want to leave the conversation with you about talking about, you know, the amazing world of, of technology and the technology business models that could aid um, and support much of what we've spoken about. 
So I think, you know, getting involved in, in innovative projects um, that explore the power of technology in the future, um, the future um, of what they could bring you is logical and obvious. So things that aid the real world data model evolution, such as AI, algorithmic solutions, machine learning, of course, I think merging transparency with operational data and governance using technology such as blockchain, obvious. I think um, we definitely, you know, need to look at um, a real heavy concentration on how portfolio construction takes place and how that's normalized and harmonized. Um, I think there's also an interesting area for accounting standards, right? So um, that's certainly something that's going to evolve. And this whole area of reg tech, you know, uh, how can regu regulatory scrutiny that will evolve and will be, you know, changing on the fly? How can technology aid real-time reporting uh, and taxonomy alignment? Those are some of the things I think um, I would just wanted to highlight as other things we could be looking at uh, to implement. Thank you, Nicole. Let's finish it with a quick fire chat. You know, uh, seven questions in the form of a portrait chinois. I ask you quick questions. You give me quick answers. Okay? Okay. All right. Let's go. Uh, um, <laughs> if you were a season or element of nature? Uh, it would def definitely be spring. Okay. If you were a country or a city? It would have to be Stockholm because it's It represents style and, of course, it's the center of sustainability. If you were a vehicle? It would be an Aston Martin, but if I could get an electric one, I'd be delighted. <laughs> if, you were, if you were a book? Um, it would be a coffee table book on sustainable living in full color spectrum. <laughs> if you were a dish or recipe? Um, I absolutely love Mediterranean food, so it would have to be blue ocean cooking, um, all organic, and I am trying, I'm just saying trying my best at a plant-based diet, so perhaps a combination of that. <laughs> if you were a hobby? Game ranger. And if you were a hashtag? It would be hashtag be real, be now. <laughs> thank you, Nicole. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, thank you, Min. Lovely to speak. Thank you. If you want to hear more about Nicole, please follow her Twitter at Nicole A-N-M-O. If you want to keep up to date with our podcast, please find us at Mandalore underscore Min. This was the first episode of Mainstreaming Green Finance, a podcast brought by you by Mandalore Partners. Mm -hmm.